0: Hey guys, it's me, Varun Vumdi. On this episode of Stars and Startups, we speak with the young CEO of Visual AI, Jaspreet Makar. Jaspreet talks about how he started hacking together quadcopters for the fun of it in college and sold those crude copters to make some pocket money. He then transformed that passion into action to build his startup that just started taking on any project to now managing over 35% of Indian solar assets with a large set of impressive businesses. The client list comprises of 27 of 35 companies in solar space, all of which was grown in just 18 months since they solved for this segment. A must-listen episode to understand how businesses are being built on new tech. While in lockdown, Jasweth also shares the things that he's been up to to keep busy. Now, over to the show.
1: Um, I mean, I love baking, cooking either way, but um doing a lot of fermentation every day. Every day I've been fermenting food, so that's been pretty good. Cool. Fermenting, you're doing like sourdough
0: and stuff, or pickles?
1: Oh, so, a lot of things. So, I've done sauerkraut, I've done sourdough, I uh, made my hot sauce yesterday, I'm doing kombucha, i also done tepache. Tepache is a fermented pineapple uh, Mexican beverage, alcoholic. Made so, alcohol.
0: so, what, do you use yeast for, uh, uh,
1: for So, most of these things, taking the natural yeast and bacteria from the air. You don't need any commercial yeast. Right.
0: So, Tepache mm. also becomes alcoholic with just mm, the
1: bacteria there Easiest thing ever. You just need pineapple peel, eat the good stuff, put okay. all the bad stuff into water and let it be for two days you have an alcoholic beverage. In. So what are you saying? Because the the, the, the pineapple, uh, the, the skin already has yeast and bacteria on it. Okay. So you just let it start to ferment for two days, uh, the good bacteria does its job, the bad bacteria dies, and it ferments into
0: an alcoholic beverage. So you don't have to give it a good wash or something?
1: No, no, nothing. nothing. Like don't even bother because anyway, the bacteria is sort of going to do its good job. Like, I mean, of course, if you know that the, the pineapple is coming from a source where there's a lot of pesticide being used, wash it as well as you can. But Big Basket okay. also has organic pineapples now, which are not really differently priced. 59 for the regular one, seventy for the organic one.
0: And so so you don't have to uh, care about the theka being opened or not? That my father is thinking about. He's finished all of my alcohol stock at home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Delhi Delhi NCR, I think this is the only thing they're concerned about, right? When is the store going to get opened? My dad's founder's supplier today, so he's shipping him some bottles. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It, yes. So before the lockdown, my father-in-law, had, you know, had ordered some alcohol from Gurgaon, so I went and picked up. It was a big massive case of alcohol, and I was thinking, okay, you know, Gurugram's is always open; I can go anytime. And three days later, lockdown. So my father-in-law has all alcohol, and I have nothing. But oh no, but are still open in Gurgaon. No, some of them. I don't know these places. You need to text me about this. Sure, sure. sure. I did talk to one of those guys last week. He was open. That's hilarious. So, just wait, let's uh, jump into talking about your interests. Um, how did you get into technology? And I read somewhere that you started your first startup and hacking robots and toys and electronics at a very young age. How did all this come to be? Are you? Are your parents engineers? Did they always leave stuff around for you. What was the interest? Where did all of this start?
1: Well, I guess uh, my parents my parents are not
0: engineers to start with,
1: but, but my dad's a businessman and he always sort of put the seed in me that you have to go out and start caring for yourself, start earning for yourself as soon as possible. So I sort of grew up in an environment where I was repeatedly um, told that it's it's good to be self-sufficient. While the family has the means to take good care of you, but, but you should be self-sufficient and you should go out and start earning for yourself pretty soon. So, uh, that motivation, intrinsic motivation was always there. And while this intrinsic motivation to earn and make a living was there, I was also very, very, uh, attracted towards just breaking things apart. I don't know. I was, uh, very, very curious about how things are built, how things are made. And, and I, I sort of felt that I could take things apart and build them into something better. Though it never happened. What is the first thing
0: took you about, took apart?
1: Oh, I took apart every single thing that uh, came to the house. I mean, all sorts of electronics, TVs, remotes, uh, radio, CD players, uh, even uh, telephones, everything that came into home. My couple of weeks into uh, the device coming home, I used to take it apart. Too. I had a fabulous childhood. I mean, I have no idea how my parents managed to be with a child
0: like me, but then it was beautiful, the entire process. At least they let you uh, be and not curb that enthusiasm and excitement.
1: My family has been crazy supportive. I mean, they always uh, uh, let me tinker around with things. Uh, they got me a computer while I was pretty young. I think the first system that I had access to was when I was in class fourth or fifth, which is I think pretty early even for those times.
0: So, so I mean, my family has been, been crazy supportive. You're a Noida boy, and. And you've you've been there all your life. Um, studied also in Noida, and Delhi. Been here all my life. Did my schooling from Noida. Did my
1: engineering from JP Noida, and then been working here.
0: So why? How did you end up at doing we Do Sky and, and Visual AI? How do you end up doing this? Why do you give us and uh, our audience a little bit of a, your journey? How you got here? What have you done to get there?
1: So I think, uh, one thing that I keep hearing from a lot of people who are starting up is your idea, nahi, what do I do? How do I know this is the right thing to do? So, uh, what I've realized over my journey is that there is never a moment wherein you take a leap and say that, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, it's always opportunities coming from opportunities and you have to sort of just be open to whatever is right in front of you. Take that leap and continue getting more opportunity as you move forward. So honestly, Bidu Sky did not start from a Eureka moment that hey, we're going to use drones and do these things. Uh, It started as a transition. So once I entered the college, I got interested in robotics and predominantly since uh, the interest in robotics was there, uh, the interest in money making was there. as well. So I transitioned to giving robotics workshops to college students and making college projects. So this was while I was still in college, making a decent amount of pocket money from these activities. Right after the college, uh, I worked on a quadcopter based project. So I interned with a defense robotics company for a couple of months and soon realized that there's going to be a huge potential for drones in India. And that's how one opportunity led to another and sort of ended up with me starting a new sky. So I think the intrinsic lesson here is that don't wait for the moment. I think perfect ideas don't exist. Uh, uh, taking up the opportunities as they come and leaping on to better opportunities, being exposed to them on the journey in the journey, that's what's happened with me always. And I think that's been the story with most of the people around me.
0: So interning at a defense robotics company, how did you land that? Uh, Because we don't hear often these stories, uh, especially in India. How did, how did that happen?
1: Uh, so while I was still in my fourth year of college, I was still selling crude, crude copters. So, I mean, I was building them at my lab. Uh, in college, building them here at home and then selling them off to people who wanted to buy a cheap quadcopter. So I was still sort of building and selling quadcopters in college. And there was this uh, robotics defense company based out of Noida itself who were also working on defense-related quadcopters. So it was a natural synergistic uh, match where in a couple of months I worked with them and I sort of worked as consultant wherein they were also building quadcopters. I had an in interesting interest. So both of us work together for a couple of months, but that's where I realized truly that, I mean, what could be done with these machines?
0: Understood. So why don't you take us through, you're the founder of Sky and Visual AI, for those who don't know what these companies are, can you give us a little bit of background into what, what it is and what kind of clients do you support and how did it come to be? Sure, sure.
1: So, ViduSky started out as a drone services company. To understand why a drone services company is needed, we'll have to go back and trace the route of how telephone lines actually started working. So, if you come to the to the development of this entire industry, uh, you would remember, some of us would remember that there used to be PCO booths earlier, wherein when people did not have telephone lines, land lines at their home, they used to go to a service provider who was a PCO booth, and then get their phone calls done from there. So the drone industry was in that exact phase till about a year ago, wherein people had started realizing the benefits of having a drone in their business operations, but they technically did not have access to the technology. So there was a layer of service providers that was needed. The service providers would again procure the drone, fly the drones, and give the data to the, the the company. So this is the opportunity that we wanted to tap on. We realized on pretty early that drone as a service, which is what Vedoska used to do is a short-term opportunity, wherein you can make some money by flying drones for people, but eventually businesses would start using them every day and hence service providing would not be a very fruitful long-term sustainable business. So Vidusky was a transitioning business from selling drones to providing drone-based services. Very soon we found our own niche in solar. That's how we renamed the software that we built in the journey to Visual AI. So now it's a predominant solar asset management tool, and we use uh, drones and a couple of other sensors to see how well a solar asset is working.
0: You know what's been interesting to hear you say this there's been a lot of talk about drones for the last three years, four years, over the last four years and the same with blockchain, right? People talk a lot about blockchain, what it can do, how it can change the world, but very few use cases come to be, which have actually generated revenue and become a business, they're great ideas. They, you know, have commercial drones, you have, you know, there's obviously quadcopters are called drones, drones are called drones. There's a lot of misutilization of the terms and technology. So from, from hearing from you, you know, it it seems like you zoned in on one business opportunity, which was saying, Hey, can we go and solve for, managing solar panels and assets which are very hard to do was that is it hard to do was that a big problem how was it a use case like because you typically you know as a business person you you try to evaluate what the size of the industry would look like and these are not very easy things to evaluate especially when it comes to the specific business you're talking about so how do you go about that
1: So before we cornered down on solar, uh, we did a lot of projects in mining, construction. For construction, we had a tie up with common fruit, octagon housing, and we did about 500 of those projects in 9 months. Uh, So we did try our hands at all sorts of industries and decided on solar predominantly for a couple of reasons. So the second biggest use case in India for drones is uh, mining or agriculture. And both of these two industries have been around for hundreds of years now. Uh, On the other hand, solar is in general a new industry. So the largest, the large scale utility solar farms have only been around for about seven years now. So technically solar is as new as drones are and hence the industry will in general be more receptive towards new technologies because it in itself is a new technology. Secondly, uh, the beautiful learning while working with solar clients was that the construction of a solar asset takes about a year, but the maintenance needs to be done for 25 long years. So from the perspective of a solar developer, they want to have a stable pipeline of operations and maintenance that can continue for 20, 25 years. So the algorithms that are working on their asset today, the learnings that are happening from today, will probably be used 20 years from now. And hence, it made a lot more sense for us as a business to be getting into this domain, wherein you do something today, but it's going to be used for that same asset 20 years. So you can potentially have a revenue stream coming from the same analytics that you did today, 20 years later on as well. So that's why it's a very beautiful opportunity to be there in solar operations and maintenance.
0: So how did, so how does this work? How does visual AI work? Can you give us a lowdown?
1: Sure. Uh, So conventional solar farm has a large number of solar modules, so anywhere between 3 lakh individual solar modules to 10 lakh solar modules. And to give you an estimate, a solar module would be approximately the size of a human being. So it's large, it's not small. Now, see if there are about 5 lakh modules spread, this large module spread across the field, it'll probably cover a kilometer or two square kilometers. It'll be a very large field. Uh, And analyzing what's going wrong at the site, is very difficult. I mean, if you ask a human to traverse the entire site H2L, edge edge, it'll probably take him a couple of hours. And more often than not, these assets are built where the temperatures are not really pleasant. So, asking uh, someone to go out and check if the modules are working properly or not in 50 degrees Celsius is inhuman. You can't really expect that to be done. So that's uh, conventionally the definition of a use case where drones could come and come handy. Uh, instead of sending a human, send a drone, let the drone see what's happening on the ground. Uh, prepare a report identifying that hey, out of the 500,000 modules on the ground, these are the 100 that need your attention. Send the human on those 100 instead of the 500,000. So that's predominantly the use case. Uh, that's how we started in the first place. We went to solar companies, told them that, hey, we know their lapses are at your site. You know that their lapses are at your site. Uh, we can help you identify those lapses quickly and cheaply. Uh, a pitch that worked very, very well for us. And soon we realized that the lapses are much, much more than what is visible uh, as an outsider to the industry. And that's how we started penetrating deeper. Uh, we realized that there's a lot of sensory data that's being captured. There are IoT sensors installed all across the solar farm. And the amount of data that's being generated, no one can really sit and analyze that. So there was a big data opportunity. And since all of this was happening, we realized that we could probably. Uh, connect all of these different ecosystems together, a drone, an IoT, uh, a deep learning slash big data opportunity together into one access uh, file management software, which could uh, really help these
0: assets perform better over a longer period of time. Was was there every, ever a regulatory challenge when it came to this? It seems like you're using the airspace to do it. and my understanding is that it, it does have a, some regulatory challenges. Um, a lot has been written about in, in the media recently about how the BGCA is the particular governing authority. Correct. Did you guys have the same challenges?
1: So the drone industry in India has really struggled. I mean, uh, the, the fight has been real and it's been there for about four years now. And uh, of course, we too had a moments wherein we had to really struggle to get the permissions to fly these drones. But thankfully for us, uh, solar farms are technically not really within the cities. I mean, you wouldn't find a solar farm in Delhi, but probably 50 kilometers outside of Delhi, you'll find a solar asset. And these areas are usually uh, not areas where there's any uh, national security at risk. There are no national borders and there are usually very, very less crowds. So for us, flying in remote locations has been relatively easier, but the pain point for the entire industry, specifically the drone uh, space, has been uh, very legit. And a lot of companies face a lot of problems while flying drones within cities, of Mumbai, Delhi, Bangalore, most of the major cities.
0: So for each flight, and you know, I, I I'd imagine you have different times of the day where the particular visual. Uh, test happens. Correct. So, do you have to take permissions for each and every flight? How does that kind of play out in, in you know, managing the asset?
1: So the process right now is pretty uh, simple. You go to the local district authorities and you say that hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the agenda. This is why uh, it's important. And you inform them and take permissions from the local district authorities. Um, On the other hand, VGCA came up with a platform called Digital Sky, wherein the intent was to automate this entire process. If it's safe for you to fly a drone, you put an application online, you get the permissions, you fly. And if it's not, you don't get the permissions. It was supposed to be this simple. But intrinsically, the the bureaucracy takes its own sweet time. And it's been about a year and a half now that this idea was actually launched uh, in a big manner. But very few uh, Companies are being granted permissions to fly on the ground. So uh, a lot of drones are still operational. Uh, at any moment, you will find probably hundreds of drones in the sky in India. Uh, but all of them, I hope, are taking permissions from district authorities and doing it in legal manner. For those who aren't, I mean,
0: a lot of things are not enforced in India. So you are saying that there is a gray area where you know you, there is utilization but not necessarily approval but technically it is illegal to do that
1: sure i mean yeah interestingly if you look at uh, the entire picture government has been one of the largest uh, revenue generators for uh, drone companies and i mean the government in itself is pushing out drone flights without permissions so railways has been using drones in a large manner uh, prime minister modi recently said i think yesterday or the day before that he wants uh, entire villages to be mapped with drones And uh, I mean, all of these activities are happening and I'm not sure how much of it is actually legal, but I mean, it's for a good cause.
0: Interesting. So just to take a step back, when you talked about the managing drone assets and when it is utilized, time of day, location, all of that, and especially temperature, is there in India, at least there is a human element or human cost, which is not very expensive to hire fire guys to walk the field, right? And that's always been... The trade-off for a lot of businesses, do I use a tool or do I use a person? Though Mm -hmm. you know, ultimately with a drone, you're probably going to be able to generate more data points and the utilization is going to be more longer term and even more usable, right? The data itself is more usable in the long run and verified because you can't fudge that data. So how do you so how do you? proposes as a value proposition to these businesses and was this something that you had to kind of work around? Sure.
1: Uh, So I think most businesses in India face the issue of costing. How can you be cheaper than cheap labor in India? So I think the pitch in itself is sort of not the right one to begin with. Uh, Companies shouldn't be ideally pitching basis cost, they should be pitching basis value. What is the value that's being created with the technology? Of course, you'll always find a human doing the same job in a cheaper manner if time is not a constraint. Um, luckily for us, drones did offer a great cost benefit as well. Of course, there was value that was being sold, but there was cost supplementing the value as well. So conventionally, if we ask a human to do what a drone does in two days, it'll take the human about two months. So the same job that our drone does at a solar farm in two days, a human will do in two months. And uh, I mean, if you do the cost comparison, drones do come out to be way, way more cheaper, anyway, basis, this same funder itself. But even if this hadn't been true, the pitch, I think, would have never been how cheap drones can be. The pitch would always have been how
0: much more value that drones can
1: create versus a human on the ground.
0: That's exciting. So when you get this data, is it primarily for the solar farm itself? Or do you get to use it across other products and projects that you probably are running?
1: Um, No, so our operations right now are 100% uh, in the solar domain itself. We decided instead of being average in 10 industries, we'd be the best in one. And that's where we deep dived into solar. Uh, So the data predominantly is being used only for solar, but then there are a lot of cross applications that come out. So for example, we've mapped out approximately 35% of the entire Indian solar assets. And that gives a very, very deep insight, for example, which manufacturer has lower issues on the ground. Now that we mapped 35% of assets, what kind of solar panel layouts uh, are better in the longer run. So there are a lot of deep insights that you get based on the large amount of data that has been captured, but then again, totally uh, limited to solar.
0: That's interesting. So you're actually saying that you can actually tell some of these uh, solar farms operators, which manufacturer actually is a better product that they're selling and also you're able to consult them on the design of their plants
1: we can we haven't started yet but i mean the kind of data that we're sitting on and the amount of depth in that data it's it's crazy i mean that's definitely a strong revenue source in the future
0: hey guys as thanks for listening to this episode we are somewhat at the midway mark but thought I'd give you a little nudge to go and subscribe to a newsletter on stars.substack.com so that these episodes can get delivered to you directly to your inbox. Please do share the episode for others to find out about the amazing guests and their stories. That's the only way people are going to find out about this content being put out there. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. But you have a very incredible list of clients. How, how did you crack this? I, mean, I would imagine... This- Took a little bit of time, but it's very impressiveness. Can you give some insight on on how do you go about some of these enterprise sales? I'm guessing you have a very strong value proposition, which they can't say no to. But a lot of these things do get stuck in red tape and not wanting to go past the human cost that you're talking about. I would love to, you know, unpack that for us.
1: Sure. So I think uh, it starts from how you approach an industry. So, luckily for us, it's a very small industry, solar. Even though the amount of assets that are being built and the amount of capital that's flowing around is huge, the industry in itself is very small. And you do a good job with one company, it always goes back to another company. And people know very, very soon that this company is doing good things in this space. Uh, For us, uh, there are only about 35, 40-odd companies in India that could use our services. That's about it. And almost 95% of entire solar is held between these 35 companies. So our target was uh, very clear, uh, do the best that you can do for the first two, three companies and the message will slowly float around that this is going well. Uh, that's how it started out. And uh, as of today, I think uh, out of the 35 odd companies, we we're working with 27 of them. So there are some seven eight that we're not working with. But rest, all of them, we uh, started from zero about a year and a half. That's when we made our first sale in solar. And in about 18 months, we've uh, inspected 35% of Indian assets and gotten 27 out of 35 companies to use our products. So uh, I think a few learnings would be never say no to a client. I mean, even if a client calls us at 3 a.m., the entire team gets up as if it's 9 a.m. and they're back to work. There hasn't been a single client in our industry where we have said that no, this can't be done, Um, always be available. And I think that sort of pays back in a couple of months when people start realizing that these guys really mean it when they say that they care for your assets and they really want to help you. They genuinely want to help you. And that really, I think translates into
0: numbers eventually. So you're basically saying you own pretty much this space for the solar business
1: i mean we don't but uh, for the drone perspective we are uh, probably a good contender in the space we are probably um, a strong player in the space probably not the only one
0: but a strong player yes. so if if you've reached so you're re- yeah. are you saying you've reached capacity in in terms of all the assets you could potentially manage in this space or you're saying you know there are two two enterprise accounts that need to kind of crack that will basically get you to 90%, 95%. And is that possible?
1: I mean, once you reach a spot wherein your clients uh, start liking you, then you can start selling more services. I mean, you don't have to sort of stay limited to drone thermography itself. Uh, So that's what we did. I mean, when we realized that we had sort of mapped out the entire market and registered ourselves as vendors, did some good stuff with each of these enterprises. That's when we started realizing that, why not sell them more? Why not sell them more of the solutions that they need right now? Why do they go to some other companies and get other things done? Why can't we offer everything to them in one single platform? So those questions started coming up. uh, What else could we do for them? And more often than not, the answers also came from the clients itself. Uh, We had very candid conversations with all of them. Told them that this is what we are good at, but this is where we want to help you. We feel these are lapses that are happening on, on your side. Please tell us how we can help you. And uh, I would say seventy percent of the clients actually have worked with us and telling us how to build the business. So most of the things that we are doing right now, we don't come from the solar background. Everything that we are doing right now is coming from the clients itself. And hence, the order book is sort of well. The number of clients is remaining constant. The the revenue from each of those clients is growing.
0: Are you primarily a hardware business or a software business? And have you built any specific hardware that would assist in being better at this?
1: So uh, we always felt uh, that while being in India, I mean India is the fourth largest solar developer in the world, we always felt that the market is not just in India, it's it's, it's a global opportunity. While there is competition outside of India, there are some great companies doing great things outside of India, uh, but we felt that we could be in that space as well. And hence, we always decided to work on off-the-shelf available hardware, something that's available across the globe, not something that's very, very India-specific. So our play entirely is uh, software analytics. We do not have any drones. We do not have an IoT sensors. We do not have any hardware. We do not even have a drone team itself. So we have partners who understand uh, our data requirements and not just in India. I mean, we've done projects in Vietnam, we've done projects in Italy, US, and the model has sort of been the same. How do you find good partners, relationships uh, with drone companies in each of these regions? How do you build value for the solar companies and then sort of connect the dots? Ourselves, we've uh, been a pure software player. I mean, the data comes from the ground. We do analytics on top of it, make a nice dashboard and then give it to the solar company. That's, that's the business for
0: us, right? So they're paying as a SaaS service for your software. And you have a monthly maintenance on that, whereas the drones themselves, it's the drone partners that you work with in all of these locations to kind of support you on that. So there's no upfront cost for you. Who pays them? I mean, the, the
1: solar company gives us a, a lump sum amount, which includes uh, the data collection cost, the analytics cost, the all of these different layers. And a sub cost of that entire check is also what goes to the, the drone partners, our data partners, data collection partners. Because, I mean, the data is not only coming from drones, there are a lot of different uh, sensors that are installed on the ground, there are a lot of manual inspections that are done. And each of these different data collection layers are done by our partners. I mean, that's the model that we chose an asset light and uh, operations heavy model. But, I mean, the aggregation of the data and the analytics is where I feel the juice is right now.
0: So do you have, so these data collection partners are drone operators. So you have uh, pilots who kind of sign up with you and say, okay, can we use our data to do what you want us to do for these drone services and they just sign up?
1: So uh, one benefit of getting all of these large enterprises uh, very, very quickly was that we had a volume of business uh, coming in which meant that probably, I mean, to give you an estimate, uh, the largest solar company in India right now has about four gigawatts of assets. Mm -hmm. And uh, we inspected four gigawatts of assets in about six months. So to give you a comparison, the amount of business that the largest solar company in India can give in their lifetime, we do that much of inspection in about six months. So, for our data collection partners, it doesn't make any sense to go to the solar developer and say that, hey, I can do an inspection for you. Because then they'll probably get a very small amount of business from them. But for us, it's easier. We go out and take the business from the entire solar developers, uh, aggregate it, and give a large order to our data collection partners. And the data collection partners are, again, companies of all sizes. I mean, it could be a team as small as two members, just the two promoters trying to fly drones and get some money out of it. It could be a team of 15-20 members as well who are doing projects not just in solar but agriculture, real estate, different kind of industries. But predominantly these companies uh, have drones, they have pilots and they take permissions from DGC, go out fly the drones. We tell them how to collect the data as per our specifications, the data is collected and
0: given to us. So this is still a manual setup. Um, Do you think this will ever get automated where you know, you, I've been seeing some videos uh, by some American firms that do like home automation where drones just take off uh, on the you know 10 acre farm that they have and do a periphery run, check if they need tutors, etc. And those seem to be autonomous right There's nobody controlling those drones It's a very small area, but it's you know geofenced. Mm-hmm. When do you see that happening? Would you have to rely on on these providers or you're saying this is the model that will work in the long run? It won't. It won't. It's the same as the PCO
1: example that I gave you a couple of minutes ago. Uh, PCOs uh, had a legit use case for the duration that they existed. But once everyone had access to a telephone line, PCOs sort of became very rarely used. So drones also, it's one of those few areas where the technology is ready, uh, like blockchain. I mean, the technology is ready, but the government is still not sure if autonomous flights are safe. So, uh, not just in India, globally, there's a limitation to how you can use drones, and the limitation is that you can't fly beyond line of sight. So, you always need to have a human piloting the drone, even if the drone is flying autonomously. I mean, the drones today has to fly autonomously, but you still need to have a human just keeping an eye on the drone. Once these policy uh, changes start happening globally, I think Israel has taken the first steps. A couple of Israeli companies are now mapping out a few mines autonomously from some 600 kilometers away as the policy changes start happening i think uh, data collection will be automated as well and you wouldn't really have
0: pilots flying the drones you'll have drones flying themselves every day given that's a, <laughs> that's a given uh, without a doubt i, I think uh, if you're looking at large areas of land i think you look at a company like zip line or any of them they're going from city to city or village to village, transporting medical devices, uh, that's where some of the real world-changing use cases come into play, right? Where they're going beyond just a specific area. When do you see that becoming a normal, you know, what's your over-under?
1: Uh, so I think COVID-19 uh, has definitely given a big boost to this aspect, I mean, specifically for medical deliveries. and I feel, uh, technology is more or less ready of course it's not perfect but it is at least to a level wherein you can start doing pilots and i think uh, the regulatory framework is a couple of years behind on this not just in india but globally and as that starts catching up i think uh, a lot of action should happen in that space zipline specifically has been doing some phenomenal work and i think uh, Specifically for use cases wherein it's difficult to access remote locations and blood is needed or medical supplies are needed or even food supplies are needed. I think drones offer a phenomenal use case and that would definitely become a big story. It has already started shaping up during COVID-19 and I think in the next one, 1 to two years,
0: this space should really boom. It's, it's likely to boom very strong you mentioned a lot of different industries want to use drones and they've approached you which has been some of the craziest requirements you've got i mean i would imagine right from wanting to catch smugglers to you know i don't know patrolling the ocean there must be like ton of requests coming your way i met somebody a month ago uh, they were part of this particular accelerator i don't remember which one and they were working on Finding the female mosquito on, you know, stagnant uh, pools of water to sure. help uh, the civic bodies control mosquito production uh, or reproduction and and manage the mosquito population. And my mind was blown. What these guys are doing. Um, what are some of the cool things that you know you wish you could get to do, but you know you just are not able to. So a couple of years
1: ago. Oh one of the defense organizations came to us with a very interesting request so they told us that they have uh, these devices which can sort of eavesdrop on people so you get the device near the house and they'll be sort of understanding they'll be under they'll be able to hear what's happening inside the house get the conversations in and now the challenge was how do you take the device to a specific location while going to that location oh my
0: so god you- like, tell me something i mean doors are loud they're not so, then, <laughs> you, you know a drone is close I was making that sound, right? You know, you can easily, you know, I'm sure even listening to something might be very hard beyond the sounds that they're making. Correct. But then the sound
1: is in a certain frequency and you can always filter out that frequency. Unless the amplitude of the sound is crazy high and you can't really hear anything else. But then, I mean, the frequency of the motors is sort of predictable. So they really wanted uh, us to mount this sensor on a drone and get the drone near the House and actually listen to what's happening inside the house. Of course, we couldn't do that. It did not really fit into what we do as a business. But but that was the weirdest and the most interesting use case that we've been pitched
0: to do for them. There are um, obviously a lot of other segments you want to look at, and you know you're looking at solar as a specific segment to go after. And he said India is the fourth largest uh, drone asset, solar. Uh, solar asset in the in the world. Which are the top three? Uh, I would imagine, uh, uh, I mean, some countries in Africa, uh, some parts of Australia and UAE. Uh, what's the. For solar specifically, I mean, basis how
1: much solar energy is, is being produced globally, uh, the top three would be US, China, and Japan. Oh, I
0: was, so are... I was completely off. I was completely off. I didn't even mention these three countries. <laughs>
1: Probably you were addressing where drones have a use case, I mean, but solar industry in itself, solar as a power generation mechanism, uh, US, China and Japan are pretty big. China is not very welcoming. Uh, They do not really like access to, like giving access to companies outside of China to their power plants, while they love access of the entire world's uh, energy. Uh, US is a great market, quite densely uh, populated with our competitors though. On the other hand, Japan is a nice opportunity. Uh, we felt and realized that instead of chasing the largest uh, countries, for example, US, China, Japan, where there are already a lot of competitors, it probably makes more sense to be going to smaller countries, uh, like all of these Southeast Asian countries. Vietnam has some 500 megawatts of solar, while India has about 40,000 megawatts. So it's extremely small in comparison to Vietnam or to India. But having said this, no one else is interested in that market. Uh, Quite similarly, Italy doesn't have a lot of uh, solar projects, but then uh, they still have some 500, 600 megawatts, which is of interest to us, but probably not of interest to anyone else in the world. So uh, that's the approach that we'll take as we expand outside of India, reach out to markets where no one else is interested in them. No one wants to go there because they are so small. But coming from India, we have our own cost advantages and we can actually address those markets. So that's going to be our
0: uh, strategy, I think, in this aspect. So you're extremely asset light. You must probably have what, five team members, lesser, to run uh, such a large we are operation? Yeah, We're 10
1: now, uh, probably going to 15 in a couple of months. Uh, We're one of the few companies who are not playing uh, off people. and. Like not stopped hiring right now, even during the COVID. Uh, but then again, extremely asset light. Uh, there are no capital investments. Uh, the team is the investment for us. They are everything for us.
0: And uh, extremely asset light, yes. Operations heavy, capital. So you do you calculate the business as a monthly recurring revenue? As an annual, I mean, here it looks like 20-year recurring revenue. How do you uh, plan for that?
1: Uh, so, quite honestly, we don't have a lot of 20-year contracts. Uh, most of our contracts are anywhere between one to two years right now. Uh, but that's also because the industry in itself doesn't trust a very, very new technology. While they are new technology in itself, but they do have the inhibitions as to uh, how will the drones continue flying forever, what if there's a change in the technology itself, what if tomorrow you don't need a pilot, but you can have a drone flying all by itself. So there are some inhibitions that the industry has. But that's slowly changing. As we build a deeper relationship with all of these clients, and as they start trusting our technology, our our presence uh, in itself, I think the, these will transition into longer five-year contracts, seven-year contracts, and eventually twenty-year contracts.
0: So, so being a like, you're probably generating a lot of revenue for your investors and for yourself. Um, are you closing um, it on a few million as, as uh, monthly recurring revenue? No, 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 we are very small. We are still very, very small. We would be annualized around
1: that number right now. But uh, but having said this, I think uh, we've got a feet in the right place and uh, we have a deep understanding of the industry now.
0: Uh, and I think we should head in that direction very, very soon. I mean, growing with the solar industry in itself, and I think uh, you mentioned solar is still a very small percentage of all utilization of. Uh, you know, space that we have for solar, and I think more countries are allocating more of uh, uh, you know their resources towards uh, solar generation. So, do you see uh, you know doing projects that will help them create better solar uh, businesses, etc. That becoming another revenue stream at all? It
1: could. It totally could. Uh, I mean to give you an insight into solar, This is one of those few rare uh, businesses in the world that have grown 530% in the last 3 years, 4 years and yet only account for 2% of the total energy production. I mean, even after growing at 530% in the last 3 years, solar is only 2% of India's total energy production right now. So, the the domain is probably going to still continue growing at that rate. And as you correctly said, uh, we're just sort of riding on the growth of the industry itself.
0: Do you see any other changes happening that could affect solar in general. I know that the costs have dropped drastically and that has resulted in more investments in this, but that has also resulted in some of the older players who made large investments into solar assets uh, being kind of caught off guard because of the drop in price. So how has that affected the, the industry? So uh, a couple of
1: things. Uh- specifically related to COVID that have happened, uh, are interesting. So, people realized that most of the modules in itself, most of the pieces of technology that are used to build a solar farm were coming from China. And that disrupted the supply chain in a big manner. So, some of our clients uh, fortunately had a lot of Indian modules being used, a lot of Indian pieces of technology being used. So, those people are still on track. They are still developing their assets and they're still, I mean, on their timelines. So uh, I think one good uh, learning from this situation for our clients has been that how do you uh, promote the Indian manufacturing of solar modules or solar based technologies. So that's going to be a good uh, learning here. But having said this, of course, the the supply chain disruption has brought down the speed here in the market for us. Overall, if you evaluate the risks to the industry, of course, till about seven, eight years ago, till about 10 years ago, uh, solar had an obvious uh, risk. The risk was from the oil mafia. And that happened to one very, very large uh, American company as well. They did very, very well with solar, but then the the lobbying against them from the oil mafia sort of made them call it a day. But now the times have changed. Uh, there's less power in other uh, sources of energy. And Solar in itself has both the government approval, the policy approval, uh, the UN sustainable development goals approval and more interestingly the approval from the investors who want to put in money into an asset like this. So uh, right now I think all of the things are going very very well in favor of the space uh, minus the, the local minimas and maximas of supply chain disruption, price issues. I think overall we are still in a very good place and the industry shall continue growing at least for the next decade or so. I mean, of course, all of us want our energy to be coming from a clean source. Who wants to uh, use electricity coming in from oil? I mean, people wouldn't make that choice if they had a choice.
0: Renewables is the way to go, um, without a doubt. So uh, let's come to the fun segment of this. I've been seeing a few videos the last, uh, especially during the lockdown, of uh, people racing their drones and you know, on these courses. Uh I think it's called the drone league or something. Do you guys participate? What's what's the story there? Oh no, we've not
1: participated and actually miss playing a drone because uh unfortunately since the business doesn't have any drones, I do not have any drones right now. Okay. I think i a drone for myself. I mean just the other day a friend of mine uh called me, he wanted yeast for making bread. And he was like, Yeah, they must have a drone so, uh, so those kind of fun activities, I've been craving a lot and missing. So probably right after the lockdown, I'm going to go and buy a small drone for myself. Not as a business, but then probably as a hobby, I mean, it's really good to have these fun machines flying around you all through the day.
0: So there is no regulation on small drones, right? I think uh, if it is smaller than a certain size, there's no regulation because it supposed you cannot harm anyone or anybody or anything.
1: Uh, so in India, unfortunately, even for the smaller drones, you need permission but then uh, globally a lot of countries allow you uh, to fly drones up to 250 grams without any specific permissions.
0: So you're saying that even if, uh, you know, I buy my son, I don't have a son, but even if I buy my son, something small to play with, I would have to register it as a, as a licensed uh, toy to be played with.
1: Sure, absolutely. There was this joke running around till DGC did not come up with the the, the regulations. Uh, There was a blanket plan on anything flying. So, uh, unfortunately, a side effect of the blanket ban was that kite flying too was done. I mean, the, the wordings of those blanket ban, uh, the definitions was such that even flying a kite was illegal per se. So, there was a joke running around, forget drones, you can't even fly a kite in India without permission.
0: Oh, that's crazy. They went uh, the whole hog uh, and banned everything. But I think uh, people were banning, well, the government is banning a lot of things during that time.
1: Sure, sure. I mean, yes, (laughs) that happened. But then I think uh, now that people realize that, of course, there are risks. I mean, there's a risk of a lot of things not nice happening with the drone. But the the value being created by these machines is probably a lot more than the risk that they present. And that people have started realizing now. I mean, you hear almost every municipal authority right now wanting to try drones using COVID. Um, You hear Prime Minister Modi asking people to... Uh, map out entire villages altogether using drones. You hear people using drones for uh mosquito populations, uh, drones for energy, drones for agriculture, drones for defense. So, so while of course people are wary, they are they question if it's safe to have these machines flying around, but they do use those machines while questioning their own existence. As
0: That's the interesting thing about new technology, right? It does open up new avenues that you can actually do, you know, things that you never thought you could do before. I mean, who thought, you know, a device like this would come and would try to solve mosquito population? Because I'm from Chennai, and in Chennai, mosquitoes are a huge problem. I don't remember a single summer where I didn't have mosquitoes, you know, biting me in the evening or, you know, after your day job it's it's terrible right you never wanted to think about that again uh, in gurgaon it's not become so bad but the well, <laughs> longest time so uh, you're used to you know mosquito spray repellents uh, cream you know your devices on the wall and uh, you know more recently fumigation right? there's a lot of people walking around with uh, devices just fumigating uh, places so that there's no stagnant water and right? And all of that so we had public service messages right don't use stagnant water clean it up do this do that because people died i think more people have died uh, you know uh, because of malaria and dengue in the last year uh, then well too early to say but of COVID. so uh, reality is there's a there's a lot other things that there are and nobody thought drones would come and solve for that and it's a very interesting time to to live in and do you see uh, any other challenges, um, you know, that are public? Um, you know, technically they should be public goods. I think security seems to be the next thing. Like you talked about, you know, an agency wanting you to spy on somebody, but the reality is, you know, do you see that working more at at traffic signals uh, late at night, uh, where you know, both using autonomous plus uh, some some sort of intelligence to, to track and maintain security, uh, because it seems like a very, uh, you know, very futuristic, but I don't think it's too far away.
1: Sure, uh, and quite honestly, the kind of technology that already exists with our uh, defense services, specifically the national security guard, uh, it's it's quite advanced already. I mean, uh, if they really want to know what's happening inside a household, they have better means to do it. Uh, Don'ts probably won't be used in that aspect but then uh, drones do bring a lot of privacy issues with them. So for example, someone might be sunbathing on the roof and a drone flies over. So the the person did not give the permission for him to be captured in that manner, right? Um, India, unfortunately, doesn't prioritize privacy and does not really understand what privacy and rights are in general. But then the countries that do uh, the biggest uh, the, the nuisance that a drone brings to the table is privacy issues. How do you do something good with these machines while still taking care of the rights and the privacy of the people on the ground? Because I mean, if you go to a market, for example, and you see a drone flying over you, you did not really authorize the drone to take pictures of you, but the drone is still nonetheless taking pictures of you. Um, that's probably not a concern in India. People get excited here. Seen a drone flying over me? It feels so cool. Uh, but in the US, people actually feel uh, and understand that it's not just a drone flying over you; it's a camera that's flying over you, and the camera is probably clicking thousands of images of you. And with those images, you can sort of model anything, man. You can, if you click probably two hundred pictures of me, you can have a three D model of me. And if you have a three D model of me, you can sort of put me in a uh, in a situation, have some CGI around it, and make me actually do things that I'm not doing. You can do a lot of things with those images. People who know how to do them can do that. So, of course, privacy risk is the biggest risk with drones. But then I think uh, most of the drone companies that we engage with and most of the companies that I know in India are extremely responsible. Um, Some of the larger players specifically, they, uh, all of us, I think, really, really prioritize this because we understand that sooner or later, people will realize that pictures are being clicked and when they do, they should know and they should feel safe that they're being not misused, they're not being stored, they're not being abused, and they're going to a company that actually respects the fact that those pictures are
0: in their data warehouses. So there's there's of course when industries are new, there are no regulation, right? And people can't take um, you know their clients for a ride or or anything. So I'm from what you're saying, there seems to be some unset rules, but these rules are, you know, how do we ensure that everything is safe, data safe and secure, that they're giving that kind of uh, confidence to their clients that, you know, this cannot be misused, won't be misused and be mm-hmm. utilized in a way that is actually advancing society. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think it's fair because if it's a new technology, you want everybody to be. Um, you know, confident that they can deliver and, you know, uh, give, them, give them the security. Otherwise, uh, you, know, you know, you can't grow your business uh, because there's going to be this doubt saying, okay, I don't trust you because, hey, that incident happened. Uh, and why are you any different? Uh, it's a very, very fair fair point. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time, uh, Jaspi. This has been a great conversation, uh, having you here talking about, you know, drones, solar, whatnot. Uh, I think we should do another podcast with you, just talking about uh, you know fermentation. And I think uh, the audience probably we're going to take away a few from few of uh, uh, pointers from that too.
1: Definitely, I mean fermentation is uh, shaping up presently globally, and I
0: would love to do that. It's,
1: it's something that's very close
0: to. Me. Uh, if you have some resources uh, that I could share with the audience, uh, I would definitely love to put it in the show notes, and you know we can get them to test it out, and you know. Uh, do you have any uh, way, are you guys hiring? What's the story? You said you're hiring another five, feet, five folks. Um, you know, if somebody had reached out to you, what kind of people are looking for and how do they reach out to you?
1: Uh, I'm very accessible on LinkedIn. I'm almost always active over there. I'm more active on LinkedIn than on Instagram. And um, Again, we're hiring for technology folks. We're hiring for people in the sales. Uh, so yeah, I mean, predominantly I think all across functions we're looking for smart people to come to
0: fantastic so i'm going to leave your linkedin uh, kind of profile in the show notes and uh, i've also been following some of the videos you've been putting out i think you talked about uh, you know what you've been doing through covid-19 and you know uh, how it's been affecting your life and so on uh, you know keep it keep it going I, you know you're you know what you're really young like how 25 26 28 now okay you okay? <laughs> but but amazing to have accomplished uh, you know so much at such a, such a young age. Um, you know, I, uh, I think a lot of younger folks can take inspiration from from your journey uh, and also start going into uncharted waters, right? And, and take that kind of bet. So uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we'll be happy to have you again and, and share more insight. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, appreciate. It hey guys that's the end of this episode of stars and startups don't forget uh, to subscribe to our newsletter of stars and startups on stars.substack.com don't miss that so that you can get the episode delivered directly to your inbox and do give us a five star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast on whichever player itunes google podcast spotify so more people can find out about us i really really need your help so that you can share the episodes and others can find us And uh, yeah, keep subscribing, do write to me. You can find me on Twitter at Varun Vumidi. Okay, I will see you on the next episode.